recorded live from the mats of Radical MMA in New York City, the Martial Culture Podcast. Your source for in-depth combat sports and martial arts insights with, with Coach, Coach Renee Dreyfus and, and Matt Peters. Peters. Ring the bell and let's get it on. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Oh, I hope you don't have COVID. No, I hope so too. I actually uh, have a sinus headache. Whoa! And I just went to oh, CVS to I'm get so Sudafed, sorry. and I had to sign like five forms and give them my ID. Uh, so I'm taking meth later. That's the plan. I'm making some meth. <laughs> so if you need anything, let me know. <laughs> meth solves everything, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> it also causes some things too. The teeth fall out. But then you lose weight because it's hard to eat without with no teeth. You lose your weight and you lose your teeth. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Summer body, here I come, 2021. Renee, how are you? It is, I'm great, and it's so great to talk with you. I missed you, buddy. We have not been able to do this for a long time because of the pandemic, and uh, I know a lot of our listeners were emailing me and saying, when are you guys going to be on again? When are you guys going to be on again? And, uh, and then, you know, I got a lot of emails saying, I'm glad you're gone. I'm glad you're gone. It was weird. <laughs> Well, they were just talking about you or they were talking about us? Uh, I think it was just me because it said Matt specifically. It said, Matt, I'm glad you're gone. And it was weird. No, no, no. We're, we're a team. And, and, you know, it's funny because I, I always say that I'm like a little bit like not funny and serious. You're and funny, then you though. bring out the lighter, more enjoyable side. And, and we're a great team. So together forever. Together forever. Oh, Lord. This is going to be a quick pod. <laughs> like, no. I got to go. Laurel, were we Laurel Hardy and Abbott and Costello? So, um, what have you been doing over this time? Oh my gosh! Well, uh, I uh, work in an industry that luckily was allowed to reopen in July, so we've been uh, back at the office and working and uh, trying to keep things going. Um, just the three partners and owners over here, and then slowly bringing back people as things get more and more uh, busy. Um, and we've Great. seen, seen an uptick, but things are slow. Unfortunately, you That's, are not in the same yeah. situation. Exactly. The, the, some people in New York, I don't know what it's like in other states. I know every state is a little different, but in New York, uh, governor Cuomo came out with some regulations that allowed some gyms to partially reopen. But in page seven of those 17 page regulations, it's explicitly, explicitly says no martial arts and no boxing and no, you know, like heavy contact. And while, you know, there are some academies that are kind of doing, you know, training on the side, I, uh, you know, secretly, I, you know, I'm trying to be part of the solution and uh, be responsible. And, you know, I guess everybody can make their own choice and depends where you live, what your, you know, what the state of the, you know, infections and everything are. But in New York, it's still a very serious thing. So, I'm um, at home, uh, basically um, haven't been to the academy once and closed the doors. And I'm just working with my with G, my professional fighter, because he was supposed to be fighting um, in a high-level match. Uh, one premier FC was supposed to be in October. That canceled. We had a kind of tentative offer for Bellator, um, but it looks like that's not going to happen either. But it looks like we're getting him to another show again in October. So we've been training very seriously in the park. And, um, and he's been sparring as well with, uh, a small people and, and, uh, professional fighters are allowed to train. That's the only thing. So, uh, he's together with a group of other pros and they just they spar and they keep it very, very small and, uh, and they're all, you know, tested and, and being sure that they're not infecting each other or anybody else. So, um, that's kind of the situation. It's kind of, um, you know, I, I hear from everybody, when are you going to open? And it's a really wonderful thing because I probably heard from all my students at least three, four times over and over and a ton of new students too. When are you going to open? We can't wait till you reopen. And um, so it, it's great to know that, that people really want to, to, to train. And I'm hoping that once this all blows over, we can just kind of get back to normal um, and, uh, and you know, restart. But I, I was going to say that uh, there's been a huge amount of um, – uh, you, you know, interest in MMA, whether it's watching the fights or whatever. And I think at this time, it's like, okay, maybe you can't train, but you can um, work on your own. I've been doing a lot of virtual private lessons 
with people all around the world. And I'm really, really happy to do that. Uh, I, Toronto, I have a lesson with Toronto. These guys in Toronto. I have a lesson with uh, some students in Texas. I have another lesson with a student in California. And um, I'm going to be doing a, student, a lesson with a student in Italy soon. So it's all virtual. And they have um, either a partner or a dummy. And, and, you're, and I'm, I'm ex- and kind of explaining technique and going through them. And I'm surprised at how how much you can really teach over, over the virtual uh, medium and, and really kind of developed a, a, a curriculum uh, to help people's movement and the quality of, of, of their, their, their biomechanics. And um, because there's, there's two elements, right, to training. There's two elements. The first element, and you, you can't train this without sparring, but is reaction time, and we call that aliveness. So the guy throws a punch and you time it and you slip it, or he's moving and you catch him with your jab, or you know exactly when to shoot, or he moves in a certain position, and that's when you sink in the choke. And of course, you only get good at that, you know, with a partner who you're training with, with resistance. And we, you know, we talk about this in the, you know, why sometimes traditional martial arts don't work. It's because they don't train with enough aliveness. So that's one element. But there's another element you can train, and I call this sharpening the samurai sword. And what that is, is, Okay, you had that moment when you're going to do the rear naked choke, but if the biomechanically your rear naked choke is not efficient or not put on exactly the way it could be, obviously it's you know suboptimal. So what we're doing is sharpening the sword and making sure that your movement, your transitions, your pressure, your angles, your finishes are really, really, really sharp, so that when we go back to producing, you know, doing training with aliveness your body will be in the right spot. It'll know what to do. The other thing is conditioning. It develops the conditioning and things like that. So that's kind of what I've been working with my students. And I'm really, really, really happy with the results. And I didn't think it would be as good as it, it, it turned out to be. So it, it's kind of a wonderful thing, learning journey for me and how I can, you know, adapt and, and roll with the punches, you know, so to speak, or roll with the germs, I guess, in this case. <laughs> Without the germs. Um, so, yeah. Um, that's that's great. what I've been doing. Have yeah, you made man. any bread yet, or you, how's your sourdough? I actually cooked bread yesterday. Oh, wow. I cooked ketogenic uh, bread. It's made from almond flour and some other things and it's like a very low glycemic index you know That's very low really cool. uh, so it's like only has one net carb but it's bread and i, I like carbs and stuff so i'm like <laughs> trying to look for some you know something different and i baked and i was really surprised and it came out really really good well, and i, I was like put my order wow, and i'm terrible in the kitchen i'm really i'm nothing but i trying to expand my skills and uh in this meantime i think we're all like kind of like wondering what we can do and i have a whole um you know, list of things that we can talk about eventually, if you want, like how I've been spending the time productively, you know, in, in particularly in martial arts, you know, but, but in general, like I've been, been taking some uh, university courses and um, if this goes on longer, I might actually, you know, get my second master's. Um, so something like that, mm-hmm. if it goes on longer, but hopefully it won't go on too much longer, but I've been, we've, I took some courses and uh, it's been great. It's been great. Um, been reading a lot, uh, reading tremendous books. And also I just, and it's a really wonderful thing because there's a lot of people doing some great work on uh, uh, research of um, Japanese Japanese jujitsu from the Middle Ages, you know, from the Warring States or the 16th century, 17th century, 18th century. So a lot of these old scrolls were not available in the West. They were not available. And right now, there's a lot of people in Japan, um, uh, Westerners who, you know, speak Japanese like I do. Um, I'm sure they speak better, though. Um, and they are translating them and p- making them into PDFs and books. So there's a lot of m- more newer material out. And so I've been collecting some of the stuff that's been coming out. And, uh, you know, it's kind of helping my research on, on you know, the development of martial arts and, and, you know, kind of looking where we came from, from what's known as a hoplogical perspective. Hoplogical is a study of, like, you know, human weaponry and human combat. And um, so it's kind of interesting, and I've been doing that, really uh, doing my research on that level. Um, but I would recommend uh, some books. We had Professor John Will on uh, recently, and, and uh, just before, I think, COVID. Mm-hmm. And he has three books that came out on Amazon, which is his autobiography called uh, Rogue Black Belt. And it is insanely entertaining, unbelievable, not to mention a huge amount of life lessons. 
and there are three books and I think each one is like, you know, like $7 or four or $5 and, uh, so well worth it. I've been reading that, um, some historical fiction and then some, a lot of nonfiction as well. So, uh, I'll put up a, a couple reading lists on the martial culture, um, uh, Facebook page and uh, a couple things that I've been working on and I'll post up and then hopefully that can inspire people to stay in the martial arts zone and, uh, really stay busy and, um, and That's so great. that we can all get back into training in a, in a, in a positive mindset once we're able to. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been working on, uh, I've been playing a lot of Dragon Ball Z video games. Um, <laughs> is it Dragon Ball Z video game? I didn't know that. Yeah. They just had it. They actually, I'll give it five stars. This new game called Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. It's a action role playing game. So I've been doing my martial arts, um, virtually just like everybody else. And it's a good game. So if you got a PlayStation and 50 bucks, go for it. You know, you know, it's funny that you said you're making a joke that doing martial arts virtually. But I'll tell you, I saw the recent UFC game. Oh, yeah. And I was blown away. I had to look twice. How realistic it was. I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievably realistic. And, uh, and obviously some video games has problems. But, I mean, you really can recognize the techniques. And I wouldn't be surprised if some people could learn a couple things from just, you know, moving the characters around and, you know, they, 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 each character is very true to the individual's fighting style. So, you know, Masvidal in the video game, as far as I, I didn't do a deep analysis, but it kind of looks like his style. Diaz looks like his style. George St. Pierre kind of looks like his style. I was like, I didn't see George St. Pierre, but you know, like that, but I was like, wow, this is so detailed. And yeah, you could probably learn something from that. Yeah. So everybody should just play like the new UFC game. <laughs> That's the the next uh, Dana White's going to come out with that, where it's just like virtual fighting, like that yeah. with that real steel with uh, Wolverine. Remember that movie? Real steel. Uh, he uh, they had like suits oh. they would wear and they'd fight robots. Yes, when they when they they pilot like robots. Yeah, yeah, it's like Gundam. You know that movie? It was so cool because I. I was watching it, and um, and they mentioned my instructors, the Machado brothers, in oh, it. Okay. <laughs> I was huh. like, "Whoa!" They're mentioning the Machado brothers. Huh. <laughs> I was training under them at one point. I was just I just happened to watch a science fiction movie, and they mentioned the Machado brothers. I'm like, "Whoa! This is really cool." Small world. I remember that movie. It was a good movie. I yeah. enjoyed it. It's like a kids' movie, but it was fun. Yeah, fun stuff. Uh, so you've been very productive and using your time wisely. You're going to come out of this uh, stronger and better than before. I'm, I'm happy for so. you. I'm proud of you. Making that work. Getting the things done. Uh, we started a new business. Uh, over oh, here. really? So it's a second podcast business, but separate from the Gotham uh, family. Um, so that's cool. Been working a lot on that. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. So if anybody wants... Uh, want some information i hope uh, uh yeah reach out find some find a way to yeah, get in touch yeah. if you want a podcast we got you the best podcast business i ever did business with wow. <laughs> <was so> <laughs> uh, don't say that part leave that part out <laughs> um and you know i actually you know i i've been very privileged to see i talked about this before but i've been very privileged to see um you grow and guys Matt and I started in uh, Radical, where he didn't have any um, 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 anything, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, yeah um, any 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 you know studio, and then it was a small, tiny, tiny closet in Chinatown, mm-hmm. and then it was a rental space in one of these you know rental uh, community work areas, and then it's the new offices on uh, was it Thirty Fifth Street now Thirty Eighth. 38. Yeah. And guys, I hope some of you can, if you ever do a podcast or come to the studio, somebody, I mean, these offices are beautiful and they're just so high tech and the beautiful view of Empire State Building. Uh, but you never give me that nice room anyway, but whatever. Well, if you would have come today, you would have had to, we opened a, a new studio on the 11th floor. We signed the lease on March 1st. That's a good timing for oh, you. Wow. Yeah. So we opened yeah. at the 11th floor. I saw, I saw the construction for the other floor. Yeah. And it looked great. It's done now. So I, I, you know, like what is martial arts about? You know, so um, martial arts is about, I think, overcoming your fears 
and reaching for your highest potential. And this is how I see martial arts as universal, as something that you can learn from in, in a life lesson. You know, a lot of times fighters are just fighters, but, um, but you know, they, they're just fighters. But if you kind of, and John Will says in his book, is like, let's take the, the concepts of martial arts, the most important things, and, um, uh, um, and, um, apply them to bettering our lives, you know? And I think that's a really important thing. Of course, obviously the combat's important too. Mm-hmm. But one of the most important things is, you know, don't live your life in fear. Everything that you want is on the other side of fear is a famous quote that I love. And, you know, Matt, you kind of embody that because I remember you were selling insurance and you're like, should I go deeper? Should I, should I, you know, kind of take this big plunge? And I'm sure that was, you know, I can't speak for you, but I'm sure that was a, a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of stress, mm-hmm. you know, because there's a lot of fear, but you did it and you, you have a, your dream. And, um, I've seen, I've seen, you know, I'll tell you, I, I I've been in the martial art world and particularly in judo, I, I can say this, this really is something I experienced a lot in judo. I don't know why it's especially true in judo, but every person I've met who's done judo very seriously has turned out to have a wonderful life. And if that person, you know, was more uh, financial oriented, it, it has to do with financial success too, but not only that, if that person was more artistically oriented, because I have a friend, Finn, who's an amazing artist, and he just is unbelievable how talented, and he chased that dream, and now he's a famous artist. And, uh, I mean, all across the board, it's sort of like judo guys are really good at, um, at, at, maximizing their life potential and their life happiness and really self-actualizing. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say that it's only you. I don't want to say that, but I would say of all the martial arts I've studied, the ones where I've seen that so incredibly successful people on all fronts of success and emotional and spiritual success as well. Um, my friend Ezra uh, Firestone is an amazing judo fighter, but then turned himself into one of the top internet entrepreneur gurus on how to, how to deal with the inter- internet and, and things like that. I don't really know exactly what he does, but he's really super famous now. And I remember when he was just, you know, <laughs> working in a yoga school, teaching some judo. And, uh, but I mean, it, it's something in the martial arts, uh, that when you really apply it to your life, you can, you can, you can have some great leverages that, that launch you into another, uh, happier, happier plane. And, you know, Matt, as I always say, you embody that to me. So maybe you don't, you're only your martial arts is, is confined to Dragon Ball Z on the on PlayStation, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you're a man who didn't shy away from, from fear, confronted it, overcame it and created something wonderful. That's also helping a lot of people. Uh, I know that kind of podcast you, you guys have out there. It's lots of really interesting stuff that just in, it enhances our life and our understanding of each other. I appreciate that. And uh, I'm taking the, the martial arts into the physical world. We got some boxing gloves and some training mitts. I've been punching my wife every night. Oh, that's great. Good for you. <laughs> Trying to get some activity in that studio apartment. That's good. That's good. That's awesome. You know, maybe maybe when we open, you'll uh, you'll use some training with me. Didn't you lose a bet too, where I get to like punch you or something or something like that? I'm sure. That, <laughs> I mean, next time you see me, just punch me just for for good measure in case we missed it. I'm sure we missed. Yeah, you know, I missed those. I miss our bet. I what would you bet. have? Uh, the, the, my taser broke, unfortunately. Oh darn! <laughs> darn! Uh, the last big fight that we probably would have made a bet on was the Stipe. Cormier fight. What, who would you would have picked? Yeah, what do you one? think about that? Tell me what you thought. We missed it. We didn't get to talk about it here. But what do you think about that fight? I thought it was really good. Um, I was surprised that it went that long. I didn't think it would go to decision, especially with those two guys that were looking for. Uh, Stipe was getting trying to close out the three, and then Cormier was trying to retire on top. I didn't think that any of them were going to take it the decision route. Um, I don't. Either of them probably didn't want to. Um, I also was surprised there was no really ground game at all. Um, yeah, there was, it was, uh, it wasn't a lot of ground. That is true. That is true. Um, and, um, I was, you know, it was a really interesting fight. I felt that Stipe like his first fight for some reason, kind of, it's been a while since I saw the fight, but I felt that he was, he kind of started slow mm-hmm. and he started, he didn't, he didn't get his, his rhythm, but he definitely, as time went on, you know, I felt that, um, he had, 
he had taken, he'd done enough to, done enough to win. Yeah. He definitely done enough to win and um, to be um, to be dominant, but it was still. I felt that um, if he had he had mixed up his 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 arts a little bit more, it would have been good. But I'll tell you, one of the keys to his victory, and this was really really interesting, and it's something that um, Gene and I have been working on a lot. And so, you know, um, Cormier is from the AKA school. And one of the positions that we talk about very much in MMA, it's known now as the AKA position, is when the fighter who's attacking puts their head underneath the chin of the, their opponent and grinds up so the guy's balance is broken and that can used to be set up strikes. And it can use to be set up takedowns, and it really gives you a tremendous advantage over your opponent. And I could tell Stipe was very worried about grappling, but then he came up with something in the fight, and he said, "I kind of came up with it, and I just kept doing it. It worked." And it's interesting enough; it's something that G and I have been working on for a long time, um, and I've been working with my other fighters too, but particularly G's fight coming up. And um, so um, it was like. Uh, in, in Japanese judo, there's a, a term called kenka yotsu, which means a orthodox fighter versus a southpaw, or a southpaw southpaw fighter versus orthodox, right? And you get different grips, and that's mostly with the gi. But when you do no gi, when you're not grabbing a uniform, you can get a closer. And what it guys I want to mention is is it's kind of imaginous. So you're fighting someone, and then I want you to think about your right shoulder going deeply underneath their left armpit. So in, in Japanese judo, it, you actually use your fist to grab the gi and you dominate the armpit with your fist. But in no gi, you get closer and you use your shoulder. And Stipe did that. And he put his shoulder underneath Daniel Cormier. If you notice, Daniel Cormier is a lot shorter than Stipe. Not a lot, but he's mm-hmm. a bit shorter, right? And so Stipe extended his height, pushed that shoulder and armpit, and at one point, at one point, Daniel Cormier fell down. He just fell. Like he, so CB pushed him over, pushed him to his armpit, drew, ran, ran a little bit along the cage, like ran a little bit along, along the side of the cage. And then uh, uh, Cormier lost his balance and fell over. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. It was like, uh, like a, like a cheese <laughs> kind of take down. <laughs> like my cheese is strong, but it wasn't. It was about a, a, a high level of balance destabilization. And then he's like, holy shit, that's really working. So he just kept doing it and it shut down all of Daniel Cormier's takedowns. He could never shoot. He, he wasn't re-grappling and, and, and Stipe kept doing it, kept doing it and, and just shut down all of Cormier's grappling. And it was great. The only one that the defender can do is a throw called the Uchimata where you kick between the legs. But if you're off balance and you throw an Uchimata, a lot of times you'll, you'll actually fall. So if you're doing it right, and the way Stipe did it was the guy who had Cormier had no chance for it. He doesn't really do that throws anyway, but uh, he had no chance for it, and he was just eating punches on the break because he'd have to escape, or he'd just be smashed up against the wall. Because I mean, what Stipe would do is he punch, 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 establish that position, the shoulder position, and he'd punch, push him up against cage. They disengage. He'd do it again, and he was a masterclass in very subtle grappling, stand-up grappling, but that changed the course of the fight and shut down. You say there was no ground because Cormier couldn't couldn't take him down. Mm-hmm. And Stipe was using this position to stifle him and smash him up against cage. He's like, hey, I'm doing really well here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to to keep doing this and and you don't have an answer for it, so I don't need to do anything else. Mm-hmm. I still think that he should have maybe been a little bit more diversified so that he a little less predictably get hit less. But um but um, um, uh, uh, you know, I was still very, very much impressed. Yeah, yeah, it was a good fight. Um, I think the yeah. whole the whole card was pretty good. Now, the the eye poke, obviously, how much of an impact did that have on the decision at the end? Yeah, what do you think? What do you think? I mean, if he he really said he couldn't see out of it, it must have had some impact. Um, I don't know if he was on his way to winning at that point anyways. Um, 
So I'm I'm fifty fifty. And they on both it. they both I poked each other too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess Steep I got a little deeper though. Um Yeah, he definitely did. <laughs> he got like one <laughs> knuckle in. I wasn't still that I'm like, ow. Yeah. But Dana White said um uh said something great. He said he said it wasn't just the eye I actually agree with Dana White. He's like, um he said he was hitting him with the overhand over and over again and the eye poke definitely exacerbated, but that eye was closing up mm-hmm. even before the eye poke. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, uh, I think that's, 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 uh, that's very true. You know, like it wasn't, at least my opinion, it wasn't, Oh my God, he poked his eye. And that's the reason he right. won the fight. You know, that he was, he was hitting, he was hitting that eye over and over again. And, uh, he's coming with the overhand and, um, and and Cormier just didn't seem to be able to defend it. And then, yes, of course, there was the eye poke, and that, it's it's unfortunate, you know. I guess everybody's taking lessons from John Jones. <laughs> uh, speaking of Mister Jones, he's going up to heavyweight. How do you feel about that? I think that's fantastic. Yeah, he's a big guy. You know, anyways. Of course, I'm sad that he's leaving the you know the 205 behind, but you know, I mean, the guy's been the champion of 205 for what? Ten years or something. I don't even know. Yeah. And I think it it uh, it's a new challenge. Um, the question is like, what what is what is he going to have to change to to deal with the 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 the, the heavier people and the different styles? And people say, oh, um, you know, oh, he just puts on more weight, but it's not really that simple. There's like different fighting, different different things you have to worry about. When a when a when a two hundred five guy punches you. It's not, it's totally different when a 265 guy punches you. 60 pounds extra. And you know, there's, there's guys that are that weight. You know, they say, they're saying John Jones might fight Brock Lesnar. Even <laughs> if Brock Lesnar has no technique, you know, like he does his freaking gorilla punches, mm-hmm. 265 pounds of force. And let me tell you, I think with Brock Lesnar and a couple of the other guys, they, they weigh at the limit of 265. Yeah, he's probably close what to they're actually coming in on Friday, who even knows? 300 who knows sure. you know so when someone like that hits you it hits you anywhere it's gonna hurt so i noticed in in jones's last fight with the smith and the reyes that you know i felt that he, he was really good but his defense could have been a little sharper like he was like oh you know you hit me but i hit you two times back or good so he was like he was some taking some shots and man you can't take shots in the heavyweight um like that and and think you're going to walk through them. Mm. You're not, you're not going to walk through them. So, you know, defense is key, but I'll tell you, um, there's, I forget who it was, but there was one fighter at, who said, he said that he was asked what he thinks about John Jones at heavyweight. And he said, I think he'll do really well because basically I'll paraphrase him. He's like, well, you know, heavyweights aren't as technical as guys at 205. So all John Jones has to keep his speed and stay technical and uh, and do what he does at 205, but just put on a little bit more weight to deal with uh, that, and then he'll do fine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think it's a little bit more complicated than putting a little, you know, just more weight on it. But definitely, as you go up in weight, very often the technique suffers. Now, not to say that people at heavyweight are universally not technical, but if you were going to say who are the least technical fighters in all the MMA roster, the top five of those people would be uh, heavyweights. You know, there there's some guys there that are just absolutely just not technical. They're just brawlers. Now they're dangerous, obviously. They are very very dangerous fighters, but I wouldn't really call them technicians. Mm-hmm. And so when a technician goes against the brawler, and the technician has really good fight strategy, you know, then obviously I would give it to the technician. You know, um, I was, you know, there's a lot of what ifs, but but you know a good strategy, good tactics, and good technique welded together, you know can can very much o- overcome strength. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be doing martial arts. You know, mm-hmm. and John Jones is definitely can't, has shown brilliance in technician, tech, you know, in, in as a technician. So I really am excited to see what he's going to do. He, as I said, he'll have to sharpen up his defense. Um, and one thing that Jones has really good is he has very good body lock takedowns, not just you know, lower body takedowns, which body lock takedowns are much more useful in the heavyweight division because you don't have to change your level and, you know, worry about the guys, you know, sprawling on you, you know? So when you're just body locking and tripping, 
you can kind of use his weight as a disadvantage in his side that you're tripping. So I trip his you know, left foot and I tilt him to his left and then his weight does it more for me. You know, so, so I, I think, I think John Jones is going to be great. I really hope so. Um, if, if he trains properly and doesn't, you know, do crazy things on the side, like smoke crack and all that garbage, <laughs> awful stuff that he does. Yeah, that's all told but, me. uh, I, I'm really, anytime, you know, someone a little bit smaller tries to take on larger fighters, it, it excites me. It's like, I used to love the old pride days where it was like, you know, um, Genki Sudo versus Butterbean is a great example of a really small guy outweighed by 200, and 200 pounds and almost and fought Butterbean and we well, beat him. Of course, it's sideshow fighting, but, but it's, it's, it's inspiring to see someone challenge themselves when they're a smaller fighter, you know. And same with Daniel Cormier coming up too. You know, we don't give him enough props for, you know, entering the heavyweight division and, and, and becoming the heavyweight champion, you know, good for him. Yeah, well, he had no, to lose but, weight to go to but, heavyweight, yeah. though. I'm sorry. He had to lose weight to go down to heavyweight because <laughs> he's already <laughs> walking around at 320. <laughs> Too much Popeyes chicken. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you agree that uh, Cormier made the right decision to uh, retire? I mean, I don't know if it's official official yet, but you think um, he's gonna refi- retire. I know he said he was a little tired of fighting, but you think he's gonna retire for sure? I, I who's he gonna fight? I mean, he's not gonna fight Jones again. Um, he's not I, gonna I fight Stipe fight a fourth him. time. Yeah, I, I don't see any fights yeah, out right, there. Right. He's probably, yeah, you know he should go back down to two hundred five because now he could probably win. <laughs> <laughs> he's just going to do that every time John Jones, Jones moves. Jones is not there, he yeah, can win. <laughs> so then Jones comes back to two hundred five and he goes back to two sixty five. Yeah, we'll just keep doing that. We'll just avoid John Jones the rest of your career. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, honestly, I, I understand. It's like there's a point where he's he's not a young guy. There's a point where you should hang up the gloves, yeah. and you know it, it seems to be like an intelligent decision. Yeah. I would say that Daniel Cormier is one of my favorite um, post-fight commentators and, and 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 fight commentators in general. Like I love his energy. I love what he has to say about the fighting. I think he's very intelligent. Obviously, he's a very good fighter, and he brings some some pizzazz to to the, mm-hmm. the announcing game. And he and Dominic Cruz are two of my favorite guys. Um, and uh, I, I would love to see him continue to do that and maybe segue in that into yeah. that direction. Yeah, I would um, say if he didn't have a amazing, amazing individual. Yeah, if he didn't have like this next career lined up already, I, I, he might come back. But he's got a great career as a commentator ahead of him. So hang up the gloves yeah. and, and put on a tie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he he definitely wears that tie very well. <laughs> Yeah, it's a sharp at the uh, the big and tall section, though. Anyways, yes. uh, I something, you want to hear something awful yes. that we, my wife and I have understood? Have you ever seen? I want all our listeners to look up the never-ending story. Do you know the the the, yeah. the fluffy white dragon from there? Falcor. The dragon's called Falcor, right? Right. right. And then look up a picture of uh, uh, Paul Felder, and tell me they don't look exactly the same. <laughs> So we have come to call Paul Felder, who is also a great good We called to come to call Falcor. That's that's not bad. I would you, yeah, look at the two pictures, and if you go laugh, I'll give you fifty bucks. Oh my gosh, I could use that goes out to all the listeners too. Falcor and Paul Felder. (laughs) It's so mean. I'm a mean person. I'm sorry. (laughs) Send all your hate mail to uh, Radical MMA. What are you on, 20, yeah, 29th Street? Yeah, going to show up and punch me in the face. <laughs> yeah. uh, Costa versus Adesanya. Are you excited for that one? Oh, my God. Great fight. I am so excited for that fight. Of course, my money is on the technician. But the question is, and this is what we ask. Well, you know, before I answer, before I answer, what do you think? What do you think? Well, I want to know what drugs Costa's on because I need to make an order from GNC. Drugs? Because what, what the hell is he drugs? on besides uh, steroids? That guy is, there's not, what is he, 2% body fat? My God, I'm straight, but he's an attractive man. I mean, that is a chemical experiment for sure. Yeah. I don't know how he's, he's born in a lab. Pool, but yeah, he, he, you know, his muscles are balloon size. And uh, Is he going to pass that, a test? That design, you called him. But that being said, he's also a, a skilled fighter. So, yeah, um, undefeated. you know, when you're dealing... I'm sorry, go ahead. He's undefeated, so he, yeah, he's definitely got uh, a yeah. good history behind him. And you know, I was very impressed with how he dealt with um, the Cuban fighter, um, the wrestler who explodes all the time. Um, 
um, what's his name? You know, he, he, he's soldier of God guy. <laughs> what's his name? Um, the Cuban, he ex wrestler Olympic, he's older. And he's also like, looks like he's on steroids. Um, Oh, I forgot his name. Shoot. This, you know, this is what happened when he turned 50. You I just turned recent? 50. Yo, Romero? Yes. Yes. I'm 50 years old now. So, um, you're Romero, Yo Romero. Romero. Right. So when Paul, when, uh, when Costa fought Yo Romero, I, I thought he, he, he really took it to him. I hadn't seen people take it to Romero to that extent and just throw caution to the wind. It was, it was amazing. And, uh, I mean, when Whitaker fought Romero, he fought a really smart fight and, you know, played like a lighter, le- le- less, you know, sh- uh, strong fighter, you know, who was technical movement. And I-, I love that fight, but Costa just got in his face and said, you know what? I'm stronger. I'm faster. I'm, I punch harder. <laughs> I'm going to show you. It's amazing. It was yeah. unbelievable. It was just unbelievable fight. And 11 so, wins by knockout. I'm sorry? He's got 11 wins by knockout. So, I mean, he's got power yeah. for sure. He's power and technique. Technique, too. So, he's not just steroids, you know. He's, he actually, he's not like, you know, gorilla throwing bombs. I mean, he, he has, he has some, some good technique. I haven't done a detailed analysis, analysis of his game, but, you know, I was always impressed with him. It's kind of what he's doing. And, you know, the thing about chemically enhanced fighters is they are insanely strong. And I've never fought, um, well, that's not true. I, I don't know. I think I might have fought someone in a ring who is, you know, steroid, steroided up. Uh, I'm pre- I, I think so, but I don't know for sure. But I know 100% for sure in training, I a long time ago I had a training partner who basically, when we were done training, would go in the locker room and shoot up steroids. I mean, I witnessed him do it. And he was an Australian guy. He was a nice guy. Um, and he was, um, he would just, every day, he would do some sort of steroid cocktail. Hmm. And, you know, he was 185 pounds, but he felt like a superhero. I mean, he could do things that other people couldn't do. It, it was unbelievable. One time, he picked me up off the floor with one hand and basically chucked me across the room. <laughs> like, I'm like, how did you? He's not a big guy, you know? I'm like, how did you do that? That's like, it's like you're in, you know, the Marvel X-Men world, you know? Like you're some mutant. And so you you have to understand that the chemical enhancement of human beings in the fight world, in the general world, has led to a, a type of, you know, strength... Uh, uh, ratio to body weight, body size that has never existed before, you know? And I mean, that's, you can see it in football, the football players, you know, they, they do things that I think people thought weren't humanly possible before. As you see a, you know, 300 pound guy doing like kip up cartwheels and, you know, backflips all across the football field. I saw that the, you know, about a year ago, I was like, Oh my God, this 300 pound guy is doing things that, a, a 150 pound acrobat would do and you know to, to to that level of massive strength and 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 combined with athleticism um and combined with technique is is absolutely dangerous so adesanya is very skilled but technique is not enough you must have proper strategy and proper tactics to implement that strategy but adesanya is a brilliant fighter and I think he's going to watch a lot of tape. And, you know, obviously his camp is a really good camp. So I think they're going to come up with an answer to, to deal with him. But, um, and, and I just, the thing about Asani I love a lot is he's a great defensive fighter. So if Costa can't tag him, well, he's not going to win. Hmm. And I think people, unless Costa is probably going to charge him. And then Adesanya is probably going to pick him off. And then I think what's going to happen is Costa is not going to charge him anymore. So a lot of times when you have like a really technical, defensively skilled fighter, sometimes the fights are not like super entertaining from an action point of view, but uh, but they're entertaining from an intelligent you know intelligence point of view, like a tactical point of view. So it's possible. I think in the first round Costa is going to you know start coming at him a little hard, but then he's going to kind of be like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that, and we're going to see how it plays out, you know, stylistically, especially if the, if Adesanya has to engage first, if he feels he has to engage first, but he probably won't because he's the title holder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it usually says that the, 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 the title holder doesn't have to prove he's the champ. It's the, you know, the challenger has to 
you want to take out the champ, you have to be, you know, right. beat the champ. You have to, you have to go after him. So it, it's interesting. I don't really know how that fight will play out, but that was my first thing that cost will come out a little hard. He'll get tagged and then he'll lay back and it'll be like, like a less high pace, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's what that's what I think at least. Mm-hmm. I think you I'm going to reserve. Um, who Sarah Adesanya, I'd take out his knees too. <laughs> you know? I'm going to pick uh, whoever dances the best on their walkout. Yeah, well, that'll be Adesanya. Well, I don't know. Costa <laughs> might bring it. He, he dances too. Well, I'm sure he's going to train dancing just to try to to show up Adesanya. You know what they should do? They should fight. They should have a dance off. Yeah, Dancing with the Stars <laughs> season. New season's coming <laughs> up. <laughs> It's on. Yeah. I'd watch that. <laughs> or between rounds. It'd be like one round of fighting, one round of dancing. <laughs> As a new thing. Call Dana. Patent pending. We can make it happen. Let's make Fight it happen. Dance. Dance. <laughs> Fight dance. Oh my god. Um That's amazing. And so there's also Waterston versus uh, Angela Hill coming up too, which is a uh, fight and, and Overeem versus uh uh Overeem versus Sakai. Uh, coming up tomorrow. Tomorrow. So yeah, Overeem versus Sakai tomorrow. I mean, if Overeem doesn't win this one, I'm sorry. I think it's time to hang out the gloves. It's sort of like Sakai. It's not terrible, but it's sort of like a give me so that Overeem can come back into the into the realm of like you know competitive heavyweights mm-hmm. um, because I just don't think Sakai's on his level. You know, um, although not to say that he's he's a chump. I wouldn't say that. I would not say that at all. But I think. You know, there's a there's a significant difference in experience and and here, but Overy makes a lot of tactical and strategic errors mm-hmm. that cost him all the time yeah. and cost him in the Stipe fight um, and 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 a few other fights as well. So you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, do you? I'm just looking at Overheem's history um, now, and you know, he's getting up there in age. Do you think there's more longevity in a heavyweight or um, or lower weights? That's a great question. Um, I would say there's more longevity for grapplers overall, and that goes um, across weight classes. So if you look at, I, I think that um, some of the oldest ones are Yoel Romero and Dan Henderson, and they're really grappling-based fighters. Dan Henderson can't really grapple anymore because he's so injured, but he he fought very deep in, in high rate. Of course, Daniel Cormier is a great example. And um, you, you know... Um, uh, you know, he's not old, old, but his Jim Miller has been fighting in the UFC since, I don't know, like forever. He just fought recently and, um, he did lose, but he, he still had a great showing. And I'm, I'm a fan of his cause I, you know, remember him from the jiu-jitsu tournament scene, you know, what, 15, 20 years ago. Um, and so I wouldn't say he's old, old, but he's been in the UFC for a huge amount of time. And, um, so the more you grapple, the less damage you take to the head, the less damage you take to the head, the more you can stay in the fight game. Also striking depends on hand speed. Hand speed does decrease over time. That's that's true. And remember, if you think about how you generate power, of course there's mass, but acceleration is a, a part of power. Force equals mass times acceleration. You accelerate the same way when you're 45 as you are when you're 25. You just can't. So, um, you know, when you're really grappling base, you know, you're not playing that acceleration game anymore. You know, you're playing control and particularly someone like Habib, like Habib, it's so sad his dad died. I mean, that's really sad. His dad died of COVID if the listeners don't know, but Habib, um, is, you know, someone I could see in the fight game for a long time. Because, I mean, if, how much damage? You put all his last fights, the the the, the um, uh, Poirier fight, the um, McGregor fight, and uh, the, I forget the fight before that. I think it was Michael Johnson, maybe. I'm not sure. But all those fights together, how much damage did he take to his head? Very little. Very little. Oh, it, was, uh, it wasn't, it was um, the guy, Al Iaquinta. How much damage did he take in the Al Iaquinta fight? the Poirier fight and the, the McGregor fight, all three together, not much. So that means he can go on, keep doing this forever. Of course, you have to deal with orthopedic injuries, but you know you have to deal with that in, in whatever martial art you're dealing with. But grappling is a, a, a discipline 
by its nature, that gives you more longevity given certain safety protocols like, you know, like you take your falls right and things like that. Yeah, that's great. Um, good insight yeah. there for sure. That's really cool. Uh, so what else is going on in the in the world? In the world, I, um, um, you know, one has had some really interesting shows, 1FC, and um, uh, I, I've been watching a lot more 1FC, and I'm really impressed. Uh, the, I talked about this in one of the other podcasts, but one has made uh, very, very strong strategic relationships with the Japanese Shuto organization. For listeners who don't know, Shuto is um, a grassroots MMA organization that is significantly older than the UFC. So Shuto, I believe its founding year was 1985, 86, something like that. Mm -hmm. And so they, they weren't in the same MMA. They, they had some weird rules in it. So you could say that their modern, more modern MMA rules started in like 90, 1990 or something. Um, but they've been around forever as a grassroots MMA organization in Japan. And if you look at almost all the Japanese fighters that were famous, usually they're from either Shuto or Pancras, which is another organization. Um, uh, the exception is Sakuraba, who is not from those. But, but most of the other Japanese fighters, they came up through Shuto. Um, Mak Sakurai, Kid Yamamoto, Kaoruno, um, uh, so many, Sato Rumina, so many guys that fought in the UFC or Japanese, and um, uh, they, they fought in that organization. And it's a great talent pool. And the thing about Shuto is it has a lot of lower weight fighters who, you know, did, they're lower than 125 pounds. Or, you know, there's only so many spots for 125 pounds fighters in the UFC, you know. So, uh, you know, if there's like 20 guys from Japan, UFC is not going to take all 20, right? So the options are limited. But then here comes one and says, hey, we're going to take a whole bunch of you and we're going to create uh, a, a stepping stone for you guys to, to move into a higher level of international competition. And so they, you see all these Japanese fighters coming into one and it's wonderful. I think it's reinvigorating MMA in Japan to a, to a large extent because now there's a greater, great, there's more money in, in, in circulating so fighters can, can live and train full time and get better. And, um, it's, it's a great thing. You know, one is not on the level of UFC yet, but it has some guys who really are up there in technique and will be. Uh, or, you know, some that even are. Like, one of, you know, a couple of fighters that are really definitely MMA caliber, UFC caliber. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but I think in, the, in 10 years or less, you know, you'll have a, a stack divisions of fantastic fighters uh, from, the, from Asia. And, and, and I really hope it'll be that way, you know? Uh, it'd be nice to see, you know, because the 1FC definitely segues to, to, to or, or promotes smaller level fighters, which is at the opposite of the UFC. You see, you know, it's like Stipe and Cormier, and then it's, you know, Adesanya versus Kolsta, and all these, you know, more, more of the heavyweights. You know, people in America don't seem to get as excited about Henry Cejudo, you know, versus, um, you know, whoever, right? And that's a shame. That's a real shame. But in Asia, that's not the case. So it's great to see the one showcasing the smaller fighters and um, and really giving them a platform. The only problem I have one, I'll be very honest here, is their female division is really not mature. Um, and so their female division is, they have some good fighters, but very far, few and far between. Mm -hmm. um, some good fighters though, uh, but a lot of them are, are not matured. It reminds me of the early, early stages of MMA way back when, when, people kind of were very, very, very one dimensional. And, uh, but you know, the, give, give the, give the, the organization time to grow their, grow their vision. Yeah. How long have they been active? Not that long. Or a couple. You know, I, I said one's been around for a while, but they haven't been around in like a big way for a long time. You know, like, like they, they, they haven't been the, the thing mm -hmm. for more than five years, you know, but I think they, they actually, they actually are about 10 years old. Yeah. I found you know, they've in, been uh, around for 2011 a while. Yeah, the other thing is I've, I've heard they're really, they're really paying fighters a lot of money and that's great. But, um, I'm not sure if they're recouping their investments in the same way. So, you know, let's hopefully they'll be around in 10 years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They really, uh, yeah. they started in 2011 then made a big push in 2015. So they're relatively young. Yeah, yeah. So 2011. So that's about ten years, nine years. Yeah. Right. But yeah, you're right. It was about 2015 where it was on the radar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah. So so for our listeners on the Martial Culture page on uh, Facebook, I'll start posting our, our you know survive COVID uh, reading list. So I'll put some books out. Like I said, I, the first one I'll put out is Woke Black Belt, which is absolutely amazing. And then each week I'll put a, another book. Um, and then um, things to to um, maybe some 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 other things to watch or read. Uh, um, I'll also put in uh, some of those movement drills that I was talking about that I do with my fighter. So I'll put, post a video up on that as well. Um, okay. And uh, I hope the listeners, you know, are glad that we're back. And um, I guess we'll have another episode next week. Hopefully, yeah. Can anybody um, get in touch with you if they wanted to hire you for a private virtual? Oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. So they could, that'll be that'll be fantastic. Yeah, you know, I'm open to. Um, yeah, I, I didn't think about that. <laughs> Thank you for promoting me. Okay. Um, yeah, people can email me uh, at coach dreyfus d r e i f u s s at gmail dot com, and um, and especially instructors of schools, if you're looking for. Um, to to you know kind of uh discuss adding uh some more mma oriented elements to your curriculum i i do that a lot and then or if you just want as an individual fighter um learn my rack art system or anything else you know um give me a call love to work with you uh really enjoy you know spreading my knowledge yeah and you know my cat and clothes definitely you know (laughs) (laughs) some money in the pocket can desert (laughs) i'm gonna start that gofundme soon right yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of people are doing that. I'm yeah. trying to avoid that if I can. Yeah, know? we kind of did the same thing. We're like, are we sure if we want to start one or not? I don't know. But yeah. I think we're at the tail end of this uh, this COVID thing. Hopefully, I, I signed up for the Russian vaccine. Uh, it's coming by donkey. <laughs> It'll be here in a couple weeks. Um, so when you when you, if you grow up and and can I, uh, <laughs> we'll just you know or like uh, another or tail or something. We'll just know another the tail. Vaccine, right? Don't tell people about my tail. <laughs> Oh my god! Well, all human beings have a little bit of tail. It's the the uh, the the, the coccyx bone. You know, it's like a oh. little vestigial tail. Oh we all god. have a little bit of it. This is an explicit episode. Coccyx. You can't talk coccyx. about coccyx on a podcast. It's illegal. See, I actually don't know how to spell it. There's an X in there, I think. I think. Yeah, it's a sneaky like X. C C Y X or something. <laughs> yeah. Sesame Street here. This episode was brought to you by the letter C. For coccyx. <laughs> Google it. Anyway, so it was wonderful reviving the Martial Culture Podcast. I'm so happy to be back. And uh, so uh, we'll, we'll talk about Sakai versus Overeem, uh, I guess, next week. Yes, sir. All right. All right. Have a good weekend. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, you too, buddy. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.